The reading is from Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 25. And this is about a man who'd been hoping for something for an incredibly long time. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Let's pray. Father God, please help us to learn today more about this hope and this light which you sent into the the world at Christmas time. Be with Andy as he speaks and let our hearts be open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. morning. It's great to see everyone, uh, new faces and all faces alike. And uh, today we're we're focusing on Advent, um, which is uh, I know it's November. I'm struggling to. I did have to check. There really were four Sundays before Christmas, but it is November, and it is the first uh, Sunday of Advent. And uh, one of the great things about it for me is the Advent calendar and the Advent candles. I don't know, do you have those things? Do you do those things? Uh, I remember my brother, when he had his Advent calendar, used to open all the doors at the beginning of the month. And that was before they'd invented chocolate ones. So he just wanted to know what was behind every door so he could guess before anybody else. But you could always tell because the doors were always a little bit gnarled and never quite closed properly afterwards. But I I never ever succumbed to such a temptation uh, in that. But the whole thing about Advent, it means uh, to arrive, the arrival of someone, uh, the coming uh, of someone um, uh, is our word. And uh, the first Advent happened uh, back in the past when Jesus came uh, as as the Son of God the first time. The second Advent will happen sometime in the future when Jesus will return again. And we live in the present between uh, those two comings, if you like, those two arrivals, those two Advents. And so we've got this Advent wreath uh, this morning. We used it in the all age service this morning. It's a great symbol um, of many, many aspects. And first of all, there's the, the wreath, the circle of the wreath. Um, it represents really the fact that, that God has no beginning and no end. Uh, a circle doesn't really start anywhere. It just kind of keeps on going uh, on and on. And so there's that eternity of God, uh, the greatness of God, the, the endlessness of his mercy and his grace and his favor and his blessing uh, upon us. And the evergreen aspect to it just means really the fact that there's this life, this newness, uh, and it goes on and on. And then we have the candles. And the candles represent the light of God because as we read in that passage, as Simeon saw this Jesus at eight days old, he recognized the prophecy of the Spirit that this was the light of the world to the Gentiles and to the whole of Israel, to the whole world uh, beyond uh, that part of the tape. And so the center candle represents Jesus 
and we will light that on Christmas Day. Um, and then the four candles around it represent a kind of the light as we approach, as we wait for. Um, and we're aware of that again in the Simeon passage. He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's been waiting for this Christ, this promised Messiah uh, who would come into that. And so the four candles represent the four Sundays uh, leading up to Christmas. And when we wait and we wait. And in the first service, you know, the, the the waiting was um, kind of palpable amongst the kids as they were kind of talking about and thinking about Christmas uh, and all of that. But also the people of Israel, just as we read there, were waiting for the Christ to come. They were waiting for something special to happen. And for them, there was some 400 years. So from the end of the Old Testament, Malachi finishes. And before we get to the New Testament and Matthew, there's these 400 years. So really, each candle almost represents a, a century of waiting. And uh, there was a lot of waiting going on back in the day for what was then. We, we live in a day when we wait for the second coming of Jesus and we've waited even longer um, through the generations and through the centuries as we approach that, as we wait for that. And so each candle as it's lit symbolizes that, that little bit more light coming into the world, a little bit more light coming. The shadows of evil and uh, the, the, the bad stuff of life, the darkness of fear and hopelessness beginning to recede as God's light comes into that. And every flame reminds us that something is happening that often we don't see things happening, sometimes we don't feel things are happening, but it's a reminder that actually things are moving forward in all of that. But there's a lot more to come. And we need hope in our world. We're just gonna watch a, a John Lewis advert, which I know you love the John Lewis adverts, but really at the heart of it is, is about people looking for hope, and then we'll speak into that a little bit. And that's, that's a, really a picture really of our, of our world, of people looking for hope in the world, uh, people that are lonely, people that are down in the dumps, people that are struggling in life, people that are hurting um, and are looking for something better. It's about, it's about giving someone that hope. It's about um, reconnecting uh, people who are lost, trying to be found and people looking for life. And as we look at our world today and we see some of the dark things that are expressed right across our world, we see the relationships that are broken down, we see the nations that are torn apart, and we see the way that evil works through people, through leaders, and through lots of different situations. The world wants to see change. You know, the world is desperate to see uh, our world changed. To see its redemption um, is the word that we read of in the, in the Bible, to be made right again. And uh, the New Testament says that the whole of creation groans for its redemption in the book of Romans. As it witnesses the evil that dominates the world, it groans for its redemption. And we literally hear about the planet groaning. We hear it on the news with all the, the natural disasters, with the, the, the weather, extreme weather systems. Um, we hear of nations groaning as they, they go to war and try and make these hard decisions about what is up ahead to defend themselves. There's workers groaning, people threatening to go on strike with poor conditions or unfair decisions, too many cuts around. Every one of us looking for something better, hoping for something better in our world and in our lives. And I think most people are looking for something better because so much of life seems to break. I don't know, has anything broken this year for you? Right, something will have broken. I, I guarantee there was something. It'd be a computer has broken, a mobile phone has broken. Um, it, it's like your cup at work breaks. You know, even your shoelaces break. I mean, how depressing, usually when you need them the most. You know, I got to 14, my voice broke. Oh, what was that about? But, um, you know, everything breaks. It's the curtain rail in our house at the moment, which is just the, the plague of my life. But I don't know how many times I've refitted this thing. 
But not only that, but people do unkind things. You know, people do hurtful things, self-centered things to one another. And so most people are looking for something better, both out there, but actually, when we're honest, we're also looking for something better in here as well, because it's never quite right. And when we think of Christmas, and when we think of presents, and when we think of life, in our world, bigger and better would probably define our expectations. If we get something bigger or something better, then it will be better um, and we will be happier and life will be more hopeful. And so we become entranced by supersized things and by superstars and by high definition. Um, and not, they're the things that we think were the things to pursue. And yet we can miss seeing the potential of the small thing. We can miss seeing how God often operates in the small thing. And the Old Testament prophet Zechariah in chapter four and verse 10 said that we should not despise the day of small things. And in the first service, I got the kids to say this to their parents, that they should not despise the thing of small things. The kids were loving it, man. It's the best memory verse they've ever come across. And um, the parents were like, Andy, you've really landed me in it now. <laughs> but because God does, not, does, God does some of his best work with small things. He does some of his best work with inadequate impossible situations um, and that tends to be how he's worked and as you read through the Old Testament as you read through this book we think it's full of heroes and, and it is in many ways and yet for every one of those heroes you read something about their life where they failed their imperfection their frailty whether it's Abraham you know that great man of faith and yet he's the one who didn't believe God's promises and tried to bring them about himself Jacob, who cheated, and uh, everywhere he went, he got into fights and struggles, and even wrestled with the man of God. Um, Joseph, the guy who was the you know, teenager, the kind of precocious teenager, who hated by his brothers because he was so full of himself in all of that. Moses, we think of the great man Moses, and yet he started out life by murdering someone. You know, how far away can you get? Um, Gideon was cowardly and, uh, and worshiped things he shouldn't have. Samson was an, a womanizing drunk. David was an apar abusing adulterer. Solomon, the unwise wise man. And uh, Hezekiah, the reforming king who couldn't quite go far enough and see it through. And then finally, we read about this young Jewish girl, Mary. Seemingly a small, insignificant person, and yet she's going to be the vehicle through which the, the Son of God comes into this world, in this tiny, small village. And so it never ceases to amaze us that God takes something small, something inadequate, something so frail and could have chosen something better or someone better or someone bigger and yet he turns it around and he does something really powerful. And so we need to be always aware of that in our own lives, that if God has chose inadequate things in the past, that he can choose even us to do significant things uh, through our lives. And we also need to be careful not to underestimate and put limits on what God can do through something small. And, uh, and even, even these guys going into a, a primary school with a play about Jack, it's called Jack and the Mean Stock. It's about, about this mean character and we watched it on Friday. And the, the impact that will have on, on kids' lives and what God can do through all of that. So every one of us needs hope, um, our world needs hope, and Advent um, is about the coming uh, of that hope. But 2,000 years ago, the people wanted God to come and change their world. And they wanted him to do it in a certain way. They wanted him to take away all the pain and all the suffering and the Roman soldiers and all the people that were causing their misery. 
and uh, they, got, they wanted all the unkind stuff of the world, all the dark stuff of the world to suddenly vanish and for God's Messiah to come. And they got angry with God because he didn't do it um, because God had a different plan. Because if God wanted to get rid of all the bad stuff or God gets rid of all that stuff in our lives, then unfortunately he's got to get rid of us as well. He's got to get rid of me. But then I miss out, we miss out. And so in his patience, he allows us to continue hurting one another and on all the stuff in the world and because he's got a different way of dealing with it. And so comes into the world a different advert, okay, a different message. And we're gonna watch a remake now of that, that advert. And so we have the, the first coming, the arrival of God uh, on earth as he visits us to show us how we're to live, um, how we're to change things around us, to teach us to show a completely different way of living. And so his hope isn't just something kind of gaseous or, you know, it's a person. He comes, his hope is a person, incarnated God with us. And uh, in the first service we did, we had an obstacle course and we had a number of things going on, but part of the obstacle course was somebody was trying to do it blindfolded and they failed miserably to be quite honest. They had to be helped here, there and everywhere. Um, and then we had somebody show them how to, do the, to hold their hand effectively and take them through the, the obstacle course. And the difference is most of us are trying to live life blindfolded and there's no way that we can get through life. And yet we have somebody who we can put our hand in, who we can trust, who will take us through life. So our hope is not just the hope we'll get there, but he's a person who will take us there. And therefore we can trust him with that. And so Jesus comes and he's, he's born as a child, born as a baby, but he grows up and then he starts to change people's lives. And he touches a blind man and he helps him to see. And he, he speaks to a, a sick girl and she, she gets well. And uh, he helps a mean man, a Zacchaeus, a tax collector, a, a kind of crook basically of his day, become generous. Um, and he helped people when they got it wrong to get it right. And he helped people who lived wrong to start living right. And he helped a man and he helped a woman and he helped children and he helped soldiers and he helped beggars and he helped a rich young man and he helped a widow. Every single one of them different and yet he brought hope into their lives. He brought something new into each one of them. And yet regardless of this miracle, amazing thing that he's done, he then finds himself being put to death because the light has come into the darkness and the darkness doesn't like it. And so through, through people and through the forces of evil, he's crucified, he's put on a cross, and it seems like it's the end. But then God is the God that transforms endings. He transforms endings in ways that are way beyond we would ever imagine or ever think about. And so the death of Jesus is followed by his resurrection. He comes back to life again. And then he's, he goes to heaven and he says, I will come back again. Acts chapter one, verse 11, this same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. And uh, I just thought it'd be just uh, say a few things about that. I was just gonna say three things in which will be the same when he comes next time, and three things that will be different. And uh, firstly, the same. Both the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus are foretold in the Bible. They're prophesied. Uh, first time he was going to be, the Messiah would come, born of a virgin, of a particular family line, born in Bethlehem. He would be adored by the Magi, um, 
lots of things that were prophesied that happened in his life, predicted hundreds of years before he came. But likewise, his coming a second time is also predicted. Uh, there are over 300 references in the, in the Bible to him returning a second time. It's the same in that sense. The same Jesus will come back. It's not another Jesus, but the same Jesus. He will return with as much of his humanity and as much of his divinity as he went with. Okay, fully human, fully God. The Son of Man coming on the clouds, identifying with us. It's the real Jesus who will come back. It's the same Jesus who will return to us. And third similarity is there's an element of surprise. The first time Jesus came, although there were some signs, most of the world didn't really have a clue he'd turned up. Most of them couldn't really work out who he was. Um, it was a surprise um, that he came. And second time he comes will also be a surprise to many. We read uh, uh, that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. People will be eating and drinking and marrying up until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. And so we're told will be when, when Jesus returns, that it will be a surprise. But as those that believe, it should not be a surprise because we've, we've been given a tip-off, if you like. We've been given a tip-off that he's expected. But for unbelievers, those that don't, haven't put their trust in him, it will come as a complete surprise to that. So there's three ways that his second coming will be the same. Three ways it will be different. There will be clear signs. The first time, there weren't really many signs. Um, but we read in Matthew 24 of a whole number of signs that our world will see. Um, there'll be an increase of disasters in our world and people desperate for a political savior in some way which will lead to all sorts of delusion and deception about people claiming that they are the one. Um, there'll be all sorts of deserters in the church. Um, Christians will come under greater pressure and, uh, and that, that greater pressure from governments and society will mean that people that are nominal Christians will but just think, I'm, this is not for me. And the genuine believers will continue in that. There'll be, we're told, some sort of dictator in the Middle East, um, some kind of totalitarian regime in Jerusalem with all sorts of distress causing, affecting the whole world. Um, there'll be darkness in the sky and then something will come, he'll come on the clouds from heaven. So there'll be signs that he will come, um, very clear signs. The first time Jesus came, he came with minimal publicity. I know there were some big angels in the sky over Bethlehem, but as far as the world went, it was pretty unseen. Second time he comes will be with maximum publicity. And um, we read about the trumpet sound, okay? One of the noisiest days on the planet. You know, there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about the trumpet sound. The whole world will know um, we might think it unlikely, but the whole world will know. And, uh, but it'll be too late at that point to respond. The first time he came with great humility and weakness and vulnerability. The second time he comes, he'll come with great power and majesty and glory. The first time he came, he was vulnerable to the devil. Um, Herod tried to have him killed. He was tempted in the wilderness. Um, the second time he comes, he will finally wipe out the devil and all the works of evil uh, across this world. It was an exciting time. And the third difference would be the purpose. The first time he came to bear our sin, he came to take away our sin so we could be forgiven. 
that we could have all this rubbish in our lives removed from us. We could have the spirit given to us so that we can live the life we're called to live and be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. But the second time he comes, he will bring us full salvation, full rescue and glory. He will transform us completely. There won't be any bit that isn't done. But he will also bring full judgment to the world and to the ungodly. And therefore we need to be ready and we need to have prepared for him because that day um, will come. So we live in between the times and there's still a lot of dark stuff in our world. And you'll experience that on a daily basis in, in an individual or on a world scale. Um, and our hope can't be in our circumstances because bad things will happen. You know, you, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you won't get sick. It doesn't mean you're not gonna die. It doesn't mean you're not gonna be a victim of a violent crime. It doesn't mean you're not gonna be hurt or killed um, in an accident or a bombing or a war or famine. We're not immune to any of those things. But during Advent, we continue to groan for, we continue to long for, we continue to pray for God's transformation um, with the hope that he can do things, with the expectation that he's on the move and he will one day return, with the faith that he will once again be faithful to see our circumstances, to hear our cries and to know our longings for a better world. And also that he will use us small things, small beginnings, people in impossible situations to do his best work in changing the world because that's the gods that we put our, our trust in. And so when Jesus comes back, will he find faith in you? Will he find faith in our lives? Um, because we know that the first time he came, he came as a baby, but as the second time he will come as the king. And that's not a superstitious hope, it's not a wishful hope, I hope so, but actually we have the Bible that is full of it. We've got Jesus' own words and his life and resurrection to back it up that says he will return. It's a certainty of hope that we have. And so the question is, do you live with that hope? Can you pray with that hope? And uh, just as we did the obstacle course in the, the earlier service, you know, do you have Jesus as the one that is leading you and the one who is your way, is the truth for you, the life and the hope for the world? Because our hope is a person who will lead us through that. And so we can live with all the problems of life because we have a faith that continues to see possibility. We might not have any present evidence for it at times. You know, as the thing, as though we go through, it seems like darkness and yet God is God. God is there. The candles are lighting, light is spreading, and we can put our hope in him whatever situation. And that is the wonder of Advent, that it gives us that real hope in our lives.